The crash site would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we create, the Yuggera and Turbal peoples. We also pay our respects to elders, past, present and emerging. Sovereignty was never ceded. Always was and always will be Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people's land. Stop that no, gas flow quick. You're gonna blow. When we shoved it up there. Gas flow <laughs> is my favorite flow. <laughs> Every Jimmy. business. Jimmy. 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 No. Jimmy. He got gasoline up your asshole, Jimmy. Everyone knows gasoline, Jimmy. <laughs> my name's gasoline, Jimmy. He's called gas ass. <laughs> gas ass. Gas. Yeah. Yeah. Gas ass. Mm. Oh, I love coffee. That's going to be used in my segment. I love coffee. Uh, coffee. That, that's going to be used in my segment. What's <laughs> your segment? My, my segment is the segment of the show about coffee that I'm doing. Oh, wow. In this new season we should of have the planned Crash Creative Yeah, that could have been, that could have been <laughs> that <would've> interesting <laughs> if one person actually did the research. And then all three of us had to binge about the subject <laughs> and the listeners had to decide who was the most informed. Well, yeah, that'd be a great idea. That's episode 30, baby. <laughs> no. <laughs> also, speaking of episode 30, we have a big episode 30 coming. Do we? Yeah. <laughs> we have been planning this for a long time and we're only on episode... 21. 21. 21. This is episode 21. 21. Yeah. Welcome back to the Crash Creative Podcast. I nearly forgot the name of our podcast because yeah. it's been a while. It's been ages. We've we've been... We've the podcast can now legally drink in America. It's true. We and made this it was through Australia to America, baby. Mm. It was a big a big journey for us, you know, to get to that point. Um, we're mm. sending her off to college and, um, yeah. you know, uh, all the best for the next four years. Yeah, yeah. Hope Enjoy Mississippi State. Yeah. <laughs> Hope that the government has some initiatives to support students' financial well-being. Yeah, we need some financial... Oh, no, she will be crippled by the student loan. Yeah, college <laughs> debt. Am I right? This <laughs> yeah. new new season of the podcast is all about college debt. Can we, like, get real with that? That's just ridiculous. Yeah. Oh. Anyway, <laughs> welcome back. The date today is the 17th of February, 2022. Mm. Duh. How have we been? <laughs> How it's, it's been a while since we've it's all been, been here, like speaking into a with, mic, into a yeah. mic with each other. Because it's been weird. We've presence. been we've been kind of around each other here and there, speaking to each other's faces, but without the mic, it doesn't feel as genuine. I know. Now I feel like I'm back into this performative self, mm. which um, is the most genuine form which of is yourself, the most, right? It's it's the it's the constant paradox of of performing. Mm. You know what I think it is. Holding a mic makes you conscious of what you're saying and thinking. You're like on this heightened level of thinking and saying. Mm. Right? Yeah, it's very true. I had to think about that before <laughs> I said it. I was like, when do I respond to Zane? Yeah. <laughs> no, I think you're exactly yeah. right. It's, it's interesting. Like I, it's one of those things too. I know some podcasters will insist that everyone wears headphones too. Because like when you wear the headphones and you can hear everyone's levels at the same volume, it stops you from speaking over one another. 
Um, well, that sounds ridiculous. I know that's what I was thinking. I think one of the most <laughs> interesting no, no. Well, that's things probably about our work that we do speak over each other and we make a really. We're never going to be able to afford headphones if we keep speaking over each other. What did you say? Sorry. We're checking in. Yeah, let's okay. check in, shall check in. we? <laughs> let's let's do a little bit of a, a check in from one to ten. Let's also update where we've been, what we've been up to. Uh, you know, a bit's happened since we we closed out the podcast before Christmas twenty twenty one. You know, it's it's a new world. It's a new year. Mm. New things on the horizon. New experiences. Mm-hmm. Tarek, tell us a little bit about the past few months for you. Well, the past few months have been jam packed. Um, you yeah, started a jam label, I believe. Yeah, <laughs> yes, and, and a packing label. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, we wrapped the podcast bit after Christmas. I think we kind of left it where everyone was about to go off on their little, little adventures, their little yeah. journeys. Mm-hmm. Um, I went up to North Queensland. I actually spent uh, seven days, oh, like four or five days, actually. Sorry, exaggerating, but that is the culture of a hike kind of thing. But, yeah, I hiked Hinchinbrook Island, which is out towards Cairns. It's this beautiful nature reserve island. And there's this trail called the Thosbourne Trail where you can walk from one end of the island to the other over as many days as you want. We did it in five and it was gorgeous. It was just so beautiful to be out in a really pure form of nature as well because it was super remote. There was no service like... You were collecting your own water. You had to bring all of your own food. It was, it was really um, beautiful, and it gave me a chance to root myself in the new year and really understand what to be thankful for and what I want to get out of the next year following. And I also came back to the mainland, had a little adventure around North Queensland, did a bunch of things, went on boats, went diving, and. Ate some pies, I believe. Yeah. Oh, I ate, ate, ate some pies. Yeah. Ate some pies. Oh, uh, you actually went to one of my favorite pie spots in all of Queensland. Yeah. But, I mean, we, we did meet the owner. And, unfortunately, he has updated me via text with the fact that uh, we are now his favorite um, pie, <laughs> pie shop customers. So, we're going to have to hold the podcast here while I drive to North <laughs> Queensland. Because <laughs> Jesse's Pies in Cardwell is... You know, Jesse is an absolute legend. Oh, unfortunately, no, no. Jesse was Bob's father. Oh. Who started my company. I'm not joking. Wait, really? I'm not joking. Oh, my God. I yeah. didn't even, I always, I called him Jesse when I met him. Yeah, no, no, sorry. And I've just missed, I've just misnamed him again. He's not Bob. He's Rob. 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 And he's been carrying on his father. Yeah, his father had like a bakery and that's where it kind of started. And then it became a mobile pie van that all the locals love and adore and yeah he's, and this is he's a great guy it's, it's a little beachside town for anyone that hasn't been there yeah it's along the coast it's on your way to towards Cairns yes and it's, it's about two hours before Cairns yeah so two hours yeah south of Cairns mm. and he pulls up in a in a little parking lot mm. and he sells pies out of the back of his it's a it's a ute yeah, yeah, it's like this kind of yeah, and it's got a fridge and stuff and, and yeah. all these things on the back, but and it's great because the local like it, it's it's not even like seasonal work because everyone he's so involved in the community he lives there as well and he sells out every day and he was like <laughs> explaining his marketing process to us he's like oh yeah no look I got to get here early in the morning and then this is my ratio of pies to people blah 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 and then I wrap up by <laughs> two 
And I'm like, what perfect. Is, where does he cook? Where does he prepare no, the, everything? They're pre-done. So the pies are pre-done and they're kept in heating cabinets. Yeah, but where, where he cooks them at home, right? Mm. Like he has yeah, like a yeah, yeah, yeah. He, yeah, big, yeah he, he makes them. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. They're, they're the, so good. They're amazing pies. There's something, I just love that. I love mm. a story of someone who is doing something that I love because like when you meet him, because I, when we did a, our road trip, we went there a couple of times. Like on our way up to Cairns and on our way back, we stayed yeah. in Carbwell. And he was one of the nicest people I've ever met. He has such a passion and just love for what he does. Mm. And he's just so down to earth. Like I mm. just love that. People mm. that, you know, mm. just do their thing mm. with, with a passion and a love. And you can taste it in the pies because they're brilliant. <laughs> they're brilliant pies. They Absolutely are. good. That brekkie pie. The brekkie pie is, is a highlight for me. Oh, yeah. The, yeah. the curry pie was pretty good too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No Anyways, right. enough pie time. What's the name of the business again? Jesse's, Jesse's Cardwell, Cardwell pies. pies. Yeah. Cool. I am the best customer. You know what a great like <laughs> slo- uh, slogan would be? What? Mo pile. Mobile pile. Mo pile. M O P I E L E. Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I'm just going to let this land. <laughs> <laughs> and I landed in my chair. You know what I, it started me thinking about, though? Is there, they're like local legends. Mm. And they're so rich, the stories that come out of these and the experiences that individuals have in relationship to them. Mm. Do you remember the guy that would play the steel drums out the front of the Treasury Casino in the city? Yes. Local legend. Local legend. Do you remember the guy that would play saxophone? Saxophone. On the walk to Central Station, yeah, it'd be, it'd be Queen Street. He'd be a long Queen Street. I think he was he was visually impaired. Yeah, and he had a little dog. Yeah, he, he was an legend. icon. He was an icon. You know, I actually have a local legend of my own to throw back in for Brizzy. So one of um, the jewelry stores that I work at is in Brisbane Arcade. So it's like this old arcade in the middle of Brisbane City that takes you from Adelaide to Queen Street if you want to walk through. And there is this um, local legend, this older Chinese lady and she comes around all of the stores and I think further around the I don't know how much of the CBD she does but every every day except for weekends so every weekday she comes around and blesses all of the stores I don't know what the blessing is or anything but she just kind of pops in she's always got like this purple glittery eyeshadow and she shakes your hand and she's like giving you this blessing and stuff. And then she just moves on and she does it to every single, it's not like favoritism or anything. She's absolute legend. She's been doing that for, oh, we've, we've been in there for about going on four years now. So she's been doing that for a long time. Much, I think far, be, far longer than when we got there. Yeah. I love that. Mm. Mm. I love that. I love, there is something, there is something so profound when you, meet someone you hear about someone that is just just does something beautiful like Mm. a beautiful selfless act Mm. or is just has that passion and that love for life and this willingness to give and be part of a community Mm. i think you know like it's Mm. such a such a big thing and if if we're tying into check-ins too one of the things that i did over the break is i actually managed to go overseas bang um yeah it was actually brilliant i went my best mate and i went to thailand and we stayed for a week in Phuket and a week in Bangkok. And it was truly one of the most life-changing experiences of our lives. Um, I think just the act of getting out, like leaving 
leaving home for the first time in, in two years mm. and experiencing another culture and, and connecting with, you know, a culture that has deep spiritual roots. But also just some of the people that we met there were some of the hardest working and nicest people I've ever met in my life. And the perspective that, you know, we were able to get from that and, and being in a place where, you know, like being able to recognize our own privilege of growing up in Australia and, and living in, in, in the society that we do, but also just to have met some, you know, some truly beautiful souls that, yeah, I'm so grateful to have met. Like one, one example was we did a day trip out from Bangkok out to Ayutthaya and that used to be the center of um, the the world basically in the 1300s it was like the largest kingdom in in the world at that point in time and what's left is just a town that's built around ruins these massive ruins and we had a driver for the day who would take us out and take us to all the different places and he didn't speak any english so we were communicating through a, a translating app and mm -hmm. it was really at first it was quite difficult for us to fully understand where he was taking us and he was trying to understand where we were asking to go, but he was the loveliest, most caring man ever. He would drop us off and then he'd sort of do his own thing while we went and explored and then we'd come back and then he'd speak into his translator and be like, are you drinking enough water? Do you, know, do you need anything? And then we'd be translating back and there'd be times where the translator would totally like misstep and it would be, he'd be Beautiful. asking us like, do you want to eat some food? And it'd be like, um, I bought a carton of milk and it would be like, wait, <laughs> and it'd be like, no, 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 no. And, but this, the human experience of trying to communicate with one another mm. and his true, like, mm. like wanting to like help us and, and show us around because he also, you know, like it was, she was sharing part of his, his culture and, and sharing that with us. It was so beautiful. Um, and I'm just like moments like that of like people who are passionate about what they do, that love what they do and, and are just genuinely so nice and so grounded in, in that, um, was really, really eye opening and something that I, I just think has totally changed my outlook on, on life, mm. you know, of just, it doesn't actually take much to just be a, a, a really like good person. And I think one of the things that came from that was like a lot of it is grounded in Buddhism and these, the ethos of Buddhism and of karma and, you know, and what, what that means of, of the energy that you put out into the world is what comes back around. And, mm. and I think that is one thing over this sort of break period we've had that I'm so, so grateful to have experienced and so excited to bring to my everyday life now. Mm. Yeah. To bring into daily practice. Yeah. yeah. Mm. I feel like at the essence of that, is like connection to other people and community. And I think that also over my break, I had a bit of a, an eye opening to just little interactions with people and even interactions with nature, how important that is to me personally. I think most of my digesting and well not, not belly di processing came up in moments where I was either just one-on-one -on -one with people or one-on-one -on -one with myself and nature. Linking it into what we are going to talk about today is new beginnings. I think all it takes is a moment for something to inspire and start, you know, someone's trajectory in life. 
And so it's so important, I think, to be showing up for yourself and showing up with that energy, that sense of karma in every interaction. And how beautiful that you had an experience with someone without even talking to them. Yet there's that aura and the personality that they've, you know, committing to you as well. And you're able to share that. And who knows the impact of each and every little interaction that you have with people in your life Mm. that you might not even be aware of, but what new beginnings that might spur for those people. I think there's something quite beautiful in that. It it ties into this. uh, We were talking about this recently is the word sonder. And I, I think it's my new favorite word is and and what it means is it's the realization that every everyone else living on the planet earth has a life just as complex and profound as your own mm-hmm. and in in recognizing that i feel like it's really hard to not have empathy for other people you know when when mm. someone cuts you off on traffic or you get frustrated with someone this recognition of wait a second or or someone has a different belief system than yeah. you a different way of looking at the world that this is someone whose entire existence is just as complex as your own. And you're the only, we're the only ones who know how complex our own lives are. And we're constantly ending and beginning. We're constantly starting again and, and recycling and trying things out and reinventing mm-hmm. ourselves. That's what, you know, the journey of life really is. But when you recognize that every single other person is on that, their own version of that journey as well, you know, it's it's hard not to have empathy and, and have gratitude for the this like true complexity of, of this experience that we have. Mm. And those you're exactly right, those moments of connectedness that we have with one mm. another. Mm. I, I was thinking of it like the sheer chance of it all too. You yeah. know, that if, even if you just look at human history, because like without, you know, research looking in things that have started in the past and looking at that and learning from that. But just the whole idea of that we are living in this time period and in this city, you know, and, and our lives are intertwined. Just the sheer chance of that, not even thinking about the chance of this planet in the whole grand scheme of things and trying to grasp that understanding. You know, I think just thinking about that makes you naturally more grateful too. Mm. It's interesting too because I think this ties into this idea of of these new beginnings, right? And what that everything in in the world right now, whether it's an idea, uh, an object, an item, uh, an ideology, like a, a perspective, all of that has started somewhere. Everything traces back to some origin point. Mm. And whether that origin point is energetic, whether it's on a molecular level, you know, whether it is on, you know, conversations, the use of language for, for ideas and things like that. But everything has a starting point, somewhere where something is spurred, where something is inspired and it's created. And, you know, we all sort of went away and we were looking at this idea of new beginnings this week. And this was one thing we wanted to chat about. Um, and, and I kind of wanted to look at it from the perspective of like business and entrepreneurship and the way that ideas are, you know, an idea is taken from someone's mind and then it's transferred and it becomes something that changes the world, Mm -hmm. quote unquote, you know, like something that, that has changed the way that we exist. But before I get to my story, it actually has also made me think about this idea of that no one, no one in the world right now, no single person is able to make a pencil. (laughs) It's a bit of a wild card, right? (laughs) Okay. But, but, to think about it, there is not a single person on, on, on the planet right now that 
has all of the tools and the understanding to make a pencil from scratch. You, what, it what a pencil requires is someone to know how to mine graphite and then someone who then cuts that graphite and gets it into the right amount to go into a pencil, someone who cuts the wood and then sends the wood to a factory and the people in the factory who know how to shape the wood and put the seal on, on all and then the packaging, the marketing, the distribution, everything that exists right now and then the delivery you know, <laughs> the delivery driver, the, you know, the, the person who then signs off on things, right? With the their pencil? With their pencil that <laughs> tracks everything, you know? I think what he uses first? a pen. The <laughs> pencil or the pencil. Um, but, but everything is, is interrelated, you know? Like everything that we do relies on other human beings that we may not yeah. even recognise. Mm. You know, the mm. dark chocolate-coated goji oh. berries that Zane is eating right now have have a have a an entire history mm. you know someone picked the goji berries and they were dry you, you know like even the, the the idea of finding the berry initially that didn't kill you or you know that oh this is great this grows well let's pick this let's plant this more let's harvest this and bring it to a market let's coat it in dark chocolate dark chocolate <laughs> you know like a Stroke of genius it, it's it's Everything. wild like and yeah. these ideas sort of build on each other and the, i think the plastic that it's yeah. in and all the the extensive history of plastic, my goodness. That's, yeah, that's, I'm not getting into No, that. you know, you could <laughs> go on a rabbit hole on like any of these yeah, things. Yeah. Now, what I sort of focused my thoughts around were, was, was Netflix. Mm -hmm. So I was looking at sort of the origins of, of a company, which when we look at it right now, it is one of the most impactful companies of our generation, you know, it's of true. this period in time. Most definitely. Most, most people... Um, have a Netflix account. Um, it it consumes more than fifteen percent of the world's internet bandwidth. It's available in one hundred and ninety oh. countries. Right, fifteen percent of the internet is Netflix. Oh wow, that's a lot of Netflix. So the scale of impact that it has mm. is 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 mind boggling. But what's really interesting is that it was started. It was founded in nineteen ninety seven. Um, and originally it was a, the, the two founders were Reed Hastings and Mark Randolph, and they were just trying to come up with ideas for a business together that had some other business ventures. They had a little bit of capital, but they were just brainstorming ideas. I think they were coming up with ideas for like a, a dog food delivery service where you could where you could specialize your your dog's food based on what type of dog it was and it would get shipped regularly and that kind of fell through and there were some other sort of products that they were working on. It's all around convenience. I yeah, yeah, and they were just trying these things out and then they eventually came up with the idea of selling DVDs and so they were renting and and selling DVDs. Um, just just online, they were sort of using some sort of basic infrastructure to do that. I won't go into all the detail, but then it got to a point where they started to they had to make a shift in their business, where they were getting majority of their money was coming from the rentals. Um, I think it was the rentals. Oh no, from from the purchases, I believe. Mm. Of DVDs, but they were like, no, we need to shift to be a subscription service. It needs to be a service where people are subscribing mm. and they're getting rentals and then they're re-delivering them back to like us. Like the milkman. Yeah, exactly. Like they knew they needed to change that. And so they, they cut um, profits in the short term to then shift over 
um, and have and, and, and push this new model. Obviously, at first that didn't really work, but then it started to pick up a bit of traction, right? They then go to Blockbuster. Um, I was going to ask, like, what actually this subscription looked like, what era it was in. Yeah. yeah. So, so I'm looking at now. So, um, in 2000, they approached the former Blockbuster CEO and they ask him to buy Netflix because they want to partner with them and they want the distribution that Blockbuster has and they want to partner with it and bring Blockbuster online. They ask him to buy it for $50 million. 15? 50. 50. $50 million, right? Um, let's just quickly... Have a quick check, have a quick what, check what it's worth now. <laughs> um, so right now, they're... Total assets are $44.585 billion and total equity is $15.849 billion. They have over 12,000 employees. Um, the net the net profit or the profit for 2020... Only 12,000 employees? Yep. That's such a small... That's a lot of people. But that could also be just directly employed by Netflix. It might yeah. not actually include all the production inside of things. Yeah, no, no. Well, they would be working as like contractors... contractors. Or in partnership of, but if you think about a multi-international conglomerate like mm. company, mm. twelve thousand, it's not that many. Yeah, no, truly, it's, um, it's it's pretty phenomenal. To yeah. what they're able to do with that. Yeah. So then their profit in twenty twenty one was five point one seven billion dollars. So if you if you think about that, Blockbuster turned them down. They laughed them out of the room at fifty million in two thousand. In 2001, Netflix hit 1 million subscribers and starts to, go, starts to grow. 2001, did you say? 2001, they hit 1 million subscribers. Wow. I think this is, still, this is still for the DVD yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, distribution. Mm. I just, yeah. Where, where was it in um, America that it... Yeah, worked? in America. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, I remember when you'd like, you'd Google something and you'd be like, watch now or whatever. Yeah. And then the Netflix would come up, but it was always the American Netflix and you couldn't mm. get access to it because it wasn't here yet. Yeah. yeah. Mm. So they didn't, they didn't, they became profitable in 2006 and then they didn't start streaming content until 2007. Mm. So the, and, and now you think of where they are right now, mm. right? Is, is, it's totally changed. They are, they've created an entire new industry. You know, they are, they are changing the way that we consume media. Mm. They've totally changed the film and TV industry. Yep. But what it all started with was was two guys basically brainstorming ideas, coming up, trying things out, testing it, wanting to sell the blockbuster, it not coming through, and then and then building something that has this impact. It's this dominoes effect mm. of you know, and then this sort of adoption mm. by the entire mm. global community to get to that point. Mm. And I think that's what's so interesting when we talk about these idea of new beginnings. Is like all it takes is one idea. All it takes is like one one person that you meet, one moment you have that can have a profound impact on your life, whether that is financial in terms of your career, whether it's spiritual, whether it's in terms of, you know, your deep relationships. It's like every moment, every interaction can be a new beginning. Um, and I think that's what, you know, from a business perspective, that's what's so exciting. It's why entrepreneurship is such a key mm. word these days and why it's such a hot topic. Like, you know, like it's, the, the influx of people wanting to be entrepreneurs and wanting to create something is is there because there is a thrill to this idea of what if I take an idea and I make it into something? Mm. Mm. You know, ideas can change the world. And, and and it's about building a community and it's about it's about um, turning, you know, like planting a seed mm. and letting it grow. Mm. 
and you just never know. And some of those seeds, most of those seeds are not going to go anywhere. Mm. You know, they're going to get washed away. They're going to start to grow a little bit and then they're going to get mowed down, you know, or they're going to get cut down. But then every now and then, like there are those seeds that just grow and, and they, mm. you know, provide shade for not just you, but for an entire community of yeah. people. Speaking about planting seeds and plants, I was looking at coffee because I bloody love coffee. Um, I didn't go around the sort of like fact-based approach, but I wanted to more so be like inquisitive about um, the impact that it has had with a few examples, but I want to sort of spur off in conversation about it. Um, But, you know, Michael Pollan, are you familiar with him? So he's done lots of research on different various substances that humans have learnt to consume over human history. And he does a lot of research into actual coffee as well. And the introduction in particular to Western society. And he links it to the era of enlightenment, the industrial revolution. It's like almost argued as well that capital capitalism is sort of spurred on by the introduction of coffee as well um but i guess i'll start with what that meant for society at the time is because alcohol was pretty common for the safer way to be drinking water to to stay hydrated so everyone was drunk Mm. imagine that just drinking water like uh, drinking beer for brekkie you know children were given cider and stuff because it was just a safer way to, there was a lot of bacteria in the water and it, the fermentation. Right. So the alcohol, because the alcohol had been fermented yeah. over time, bacteria had been either, I don't know the science like exactly behind like it. Yeah. Through the fermentation. Yeah. Yeah. So that's so interesting. And then they figured out, well, it was, so obviously coffee has a huge history in Ethiopia and is quite prolific there. But then when colonizers, found out about it and found that you can roast it when they were colonizing as well they would unfortunately enslave people to grow because of the demand on it and mainly because of the impacts that caffeine have as a substance that you can consume when you're roasting caffeine uh, roasting coffee and the caffeine that you intake all of a sudden you're not bound by the sun for a working day Mm. you can now take your gas light put it on and work overtime, overnight. Yeah, yeah. It just changes the working week and the working day entirely. Productivity entirely, especially because before yeah. that everyone was drinking beer. Yeah. Right? yeah, exactly. yeah. You know, you've got a that'd very be, different product, productivity that'd in That'd be making you all lethargic because <laughs> yeah. they'd be like, try the brown juice. Yeah. <laughs> and with capitalism comes a lot more like laborious tasks that require your actual attention with your mind and quite, you know, detailed work, mm. which would not work with a, a beer. No. By your side. But with coffee and the psychoactive effect that it has, it is making you more attentive. Or there's studies that say it's more attention-oriented, more focused, and like this boost of energy. Won't get into all the science behind that. I think that's a good summary of of the history of the introduction of it. Um, there's another thing that I thought was kind of cool. In America, after the Boston Tea Party, I don't know if you've mm. heard about that, but yeah. the perceived monopoly on 
the transport of and trade of tea by this British India company. I the forget British the India Trading Company. Yeah. yeah. And then there's this tax, I think, that was trying to be introduced. Yeah. They went, nah. So they dumped a whole bunch of tea into the Boston Harbour uh, in retaliation. And then from that point, it was this unpatriotic thing to be drinking tea. Mm. And, oh, funnily enough, coffee is around or is being introduced. So then that became quite popular. Because um, what, pardon for interrupting and stuff, mm. but I know that there's caffeine content in tea. Do you know much about the ratio of difference between tea and coffee? And then because I, like off the top of my head, I've not looked at the subject that much, but mm. I presume that tea kind of migrated into Western culture from Asia. Yeah. Yeah, so like were they coming up around the same time or had tea been there for a long while? I think while? tea has a lot more of a history mm. in in the, there was the um, Silk Road. Silk Road, yeah. yeah. I think there's a lot more history there, especially in London. We're a bit earlier onto the trade of tea and, and bringing that to England. Like mm. I'd have to yeah know more about it, but... The idea, um, caffeine ratios. So green tea has a slow release of caffeine. Mm. That's the difference between coffee is it's it's actually a quicker release. I can't remember. I, I'm not a scientist, but yeah, there's it's, it's a difference in the in the absorption of it and the the way that your body reacts with it. And yeah, the actually release. processes it. But yep. at the same time, coffee does stick around your body for a while as well. Anyway. Coffee houses in America started to pop up in England as well. And they were this idea of a place, a hub for industry, certain industries that were coming up because of capitalism. So things like, you know, ship ports would have a coffee house that was for all these sailors and stuff or the stock exchange. Mm. All these things came out of coffee houses and there's this idea that they were this communication hub, mm. a, a chance to exchange thoughts, share ideas. It was you buy a cup of coffee, gains you access into the coffee house. And then all the things that came out of that, there's you know, composers, great composers. There were artist coffee houses where they would come and talk about music or art. So coffee almost kind of became a symbol for rebellion against traditional ideals maybe and like helping totally. to like build the infrastructure and pave the way for a new the new world yeah well like this new way of like thinking yeah, yeah yeah that yeah the it whole kind of ideal out of the mm. um industrial revolution yeah it was a catalyst for for deeper thought in that regard and, yeah. and like sharing new ideas mm. um but i think about Obviously, that was that's a that's some f- sort of beginning, and I'm sure there are many scenarios where coffee led to great ideas, but it's hard to pinpoint exactly because it was just so prolific; it was around everywhere. Mm. But I think about how we use cafes today; it's a little different, a bit more. You know, it's it's still this idea of like having a cup and sharing thoughts, but it's not these like communities of community practices or community you know sh- hubs to share ideas as much as more so something like just with your mate mm. or you, or you, c- you come get your coffee and then you leave like you've got your takeaway mm. 
you know like it's actually yeah. really interesting because i was actually just doing a little bit of research while we're talking cool. because coffee houses actually originated in the ottoman empire mm. um primarily mm. reason is that liquor and bars were off limits to most practicing muslims yeah so it was a another substance and another place that practicing muslims could go and connect with one another and, and converse with one another and so obviously that's mm. we've got that linkage there with them how it was ad- adopted as you said in the u.s and yeah. other places but it, it does make me think like how i wonder how a traditional coffee house if you tried to make something like that rather than a cafe somewhere like brisbane or somewhere else in the world where it's you it's almost like a membership when you come in <laughs> you know and mm. it's like you come in and you're a part of a community and the incentive is to sit with multiple other people totally think about the layout of cafes even they're not laid out they're no. laid out for private yeah space yeah yeah what if it yeah it's like the sense of admission it's like the coffee is not the focus i mean it, i'm sure you'd have to make it good but it's we don't offer takeaway the coffee you buy is your admission you can get all the coffee you want but it's to be here with people and to yep. connect and to yeah and if you base it around some idea if you have some vision and to share yeah share mm. those ideas. well i wonder in your experience in america said did you find that cafes had a different um culture than australia like just because from what i've found i mean through media and stuff and maybe that's more so the media portraying the idea of what coffee houses used to be a bit before our time was it was a little bit more community oriented but i guess it has broken into factions where you kind of brought your community with you or you were meeting someone there and then you were just discussing things with them and then maybe leaving but i was i was just interested to mm. yeah i'd say i didn't really notice too much of like a coffee house culture when I was in the US. I mean, I, I found the coffee generally was quite poor of quality, you know, because a lot of that they'd use a lot of filter coffee there. So it's very different than the cafes I was used to. So I also wouldn't go out of my way to go to cafes unless they were serving proper espresso coffee. And, you, you know, like I... And, and then, the, yeah, there was a... There's a huge shift there as well as actually, you know, when they first were learning how to roast coffee, obviously they wouldn't have been doing it right. It would have tasted like crap. But there was the that caffeine as a substance as the effect that you the impact you get from drinking this. Mm. Not only is it the safe way to consume water, but you're then having this heightened sense this of reality. Yeah, it, this this is another interesting thing. So flavor, yep. But also, Michael Pollan was saying the baseline ego or personality for most people is caffeinated and then try to think of yourself not caffeinated oh he's saying like nowadays our baseline is caffeinated because yeah yeah but then he's saying also what's there's there's no i don't think that there is a problem with that it's a plant-based substance or it's plant met you know i don't want to say medicine but if we're addicted to something or this idea of addiction Mm. it's something that's natural if prepared properly and it's not really harmful to us so there's nothing wrong with that but i guess it's an individual's relationship to it but i just thought that that was an interesting thing to say is that imagine yourself your your, your ego without caffeine is that who you think you are it's pretty funny because (laughs) like i think even if you don't you're not a massive coffee drinker per se there's also like this whole idea of 
um, sugar mm. and sugars yep. um, play in culture these days. So I only started drinking coffee like a year ago. Like mm. I literally, I started drinking coffee properly when we did Pathos. <laughs> I remember the moment yeah, when I convinced yeah. you to have some. Well, because uh, growing up, I'd always mm. just pictured it as like, okay, this is this gross brown thing that I don't really want to drink. It's very bitter. I'm not here mm. for it, blah, mm. blah, blah. And then we, I get to this really intense working situation and I'm like, I need help. <laughs> I need help without, mm. without like risking my health too much yeah. kind of thing. And I try coffee again and I'm like, oh, this isn't too bad. You know, I'm a bit yeah. more of an adult. My taste buds have evolved somewhat. But like seriously, w- the main reason I started drinking coffee was because <laughs> I needed to stay up and I needed to be focused. Mm. And I guess that's that whole culture we were talking about out of the industrial mm. revolution as well. But my point was... <laughs> Skipping back to that somewhere back there. Mm. Um, I don't know if my baseline personality or baseline ego had changed due to coffee. Mm -hmm. Because I'd always drunk tea, which had some form of caffeine in it. But I'd also had my fair share of sugar throughout things as well. So I don't know if it was that drastically changed. But is that also because especially in Western culture, there's so many different pieces of our diet that we're consuming that our bodies are not biologically built for as well. Um, I mean, I have a dairy intolerance and a gluten intolerance and I've been to doctors and literally been told that because I am from another country and my lineage is from another country and we have a completely different diet compared to Mm. Western diet, there are some things that affect my physical and mental health because I've been consuming it due to the fact that like I've been picked up and moved, you mm. know, like in your diet just mm. changes, but you're biologically not built to be processing these, um, these, this food, you know, mm. it's, it's kind of crazy when you start thinking about the rabbit hole. Yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's an interesting idea though, this idea of like your personality being changed you know, like because the fundamentally the fundamental thing is is ca- you know caffeine is a drug, you know, and it's probably the drug that's Legal like oh, drug. yeah yeah, and it's okay to be addicted to, mm. you know, like yeah. like it is because I mean I can I can honestly say like I am addicted to caffeine, mm. like I I love it and I and I think for me and my personality I think it is literally like my one thing because I I'm an intense person I and I move quick, <laughs> you know, like I think quickly and I like to do a lot of things and. I love to like get get shit done mm. and and feel like I am churning through things and being productive and coffee almost enhances that and may, it helps me move quick it helps me focus it helps me keep working because I actually mm. love working mm-hmm. and so I I do think you know and I started drinking it when I was in high school because like my parents my dad loved coffee and so he we always had a coffee machine at home and you know like i'd wake up in the morning and i'd have an espresso and i'd like have it with dad you know like it it also became Mm. sort of ingrained in that sense it's it's also interesting in that in in a way we're talking about coffee houses and how the culture's shifted now one of the main ways in which i'll catch up with a friend might be for a coffee you know, like the the language. Think about how yeah. the language has shifted. It's like, hey, maybe we can catch up sometime and grab a coffee. You know, I'm not committing to a full lunch, but like, let's grab a coffee. Because also, the great thing about coffee is, even though it is 
ridiculous to be spending like five fifty seven dollars on a coffee, right? That's insane. I beg to differ. Yeah, no, no, but yeah, no, no, but but just in the grand yeah. scheme of things, yeah, yeah, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> but it is a much more like egalitarian way of like mm. catching up with someone. Mm. You know, you're not putting the burden of like having to go out for lunch. You know, and like like you know, like sit down and pay for lunch. But it's yeah, we're going down. We're we're purchasing something small that is both going to activate both of us. Yeah, you know, in a way that we can engage in a heightened conversation yeah. with one another, yeah. and we can talk about, we can catch up. Because we live in a society where it's so fast that we're not making time for each other to just catch up, right? Exactly. And it's this informal social setting. I think for me, the flip side of that is when you say to someone, oh, let's catch up and get a beer. And it's like, well, then the alcohol is playing this role of loosening your inhibitions to be able to be mm. like a bit bit loose, a bit like more flowy together, especially like if I haven't seen someone in a, like a long time, I would opt to say, hey, let's mm. go get a beer mm. over, hey, let's go get a coffee. Because <laughs> for me... It just, I get very just kind of like, okay, this is my coffee. Now I do, I'm finished talking to you now. I will leave. Well, <laughs> that's know? the great thing about coffee is, you know, when you get to the end, generally you're not going to order another coffee <laughs> because you've had enough caffeine, right? Yeah. Yeah. Max, you're going to do is two. Like you're not sitting someone, you're having three coffees. You can sit down, you can have six, seven beers, <laughs> you know, yeah. and like you're having a great time. You've, you've, naturally you've had a choice at every point to keep going but with coffee it's like you're you're setting an end point too mm. you know for for an interaction mm. which is really interesting mm. it, they're both though examples of of people coming together and sharing some sort of experience mm. right and venues i think act as such great hubs and communities still but i think the only difference is that there's so many of them now and that they're not as purpose-led as they might once have been. Yeah. Yeah, well, I guess it's also that idea of um, grabbing attention, you know? Like, so if if the market is so diluted with so many people providing the same product or slightly different products and the same services and mm. there's like six of them on a street, right? Mm. What's your point of difference? Mm. And then you fall into things being kind of like... Um, like trick based like there's you you start trying to offer points of difference with less and less work that goes into them because you've got to offer so much to the consumer mm. that you're losing sight of what your initial product or what your initial service is mm. and i think also that's why there's such a pu they, there is such a purist culture around mm. coffee mm. is that when you find those coffee and I'm not going to I know that you love coffee mm. and you, you're, I would presume to say you're a little bit of a coffee purist, maybe. Yeah, probably. Yeah. yeah. I get very intimidated by those places. Oh, no. <laughs> I just don't, I don't understand. Yeah. And people. There, there are, there, there are, I can see from a perspective of like this barrier to that. Yeah. Yeah. Which yeah. it shouldn't, it shouldn't be. But, and then, and then maybe my question would be, are those places like acting as coffee house like similar to a coffee house kind of thing like are the ideas are they being protective and um mm. drawing a line between their community and then the outside community and people who want to cross that barrier have to kind of like prove that they want to be a like that mm. they're truly involved in yeah. that community i don't know yeah i don't think it's like this idea of social proof but there's definitely like when you start getting into like talking about that yeah do, when, when you're going it, and it makes sense to me because of 
the industry I work in and the exposure to it. It's just been a natural progression. I love learning about the science behind things and how things are made, you know, like the, from scratch. Mm-hmm. Where does it come from? Who, who was involved in, in this? How, how do we complement that at this part of the process? How can we ensure that everything that they were going for in flavor comes through in product here? And when you're going there and you're trying it, and you naturally the barista will know because the roastery knows because they have a direct contact with this person. So it's like this is almost like a flow of information. And it's, it is, it does make sense to me to go to a place where they sell great coffee to talk about coffee. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And there are community cuppings and things that go on where the intention is to go and taste these coffees and talk about it. Yeah, but it's, it's so like distinct, I think it's yeah. like anything, right? Anything can mm. become kind of club community based. Like mm. there's wine culture. There's ho- there's so yeah. many different. Yeah, mm. I, craft I would, beer. I would Sorry. love to see a real focus on the community, though. Like. Mm. Like I think, I think you know there is a community that's naturally building there, but I also think there is a financial incentive mm. behind a lot of that. You know, like like I think maybe this is where there's a difference too. Is like the the issue is is the economics of cafes just aren't great. Mm. You know, like it's really difficult to like truly make a really solid living a, as a cafe owner and then running yeah. a cafe and. And I think you need those other sort of methods of, of having an income or, or then it's really hard to invest in a community. What what I think would be so cool to see is like how a community could get behind a, you know, like I love this idea of a subscription model. Mm. I, just, I, I actually think that would be so cool for a cafe bar. So it does turn into a bar in the evening. So people who yeah. would actually like to access it in that sense so that you're actually building a community and you, you maybe you cap it, but it's like every month there's a cap on the number of members. So it's not always going to be, you know, so it's not going to be full, but it's like for that month, you the whole incentive is to meet the other members of mm-hmm. this community and to be a part of this community. Mm. And you can go there and you can have a couple of drinks and you can, you know, have your, or you have your coffees during the day. But it's about this idea of meeting the people there. Like mm. there's so many times I go to a cafe and I'm like, I would love to, I'm like overhearing the conversation next to me. And I'm like, yeah. I'd love to like continue that, com- like be a part of that conversation. I'll open it up, mm. but there isn't, there isn't really the space for that necessarily. Yeah. There's no setting that invites that interaction. Yeah. Yeah. Or even if a I place is that. busy, you're not being able to talk to the, like I'd, I, I would love to like have more conversations with my barista or, yeah. you know, the people serving me. Yeah, Whereas, totally. like you see a line behind you. There's not really the space, but if there was a place that was actually centered around the community and the conversation mm. and mm. the, Almost if the the employee employees were were sort of instigators in that in, in creating that space, it'd be so interesting <laughs> to see what could happen. Yeah, you know, in a space like that. Mm. Mm. Cool. It's, it's interesting. What a great what a great way to look at where something has started to where it, like where it's taken us. You know, yeah. like tying into yep. the rise of capitalism. This sort of like yeah. sort of shift into into a Western ideology into rebelling against the Brits, mm. you know, <laughs> in, in, yeah. into sharing ideas and building community in different cultures around the world. Mm. I do want to mention just before we yep. wrap up on the coffee thing is, especially in Ethiopia, a lot mm-hmm. of that culture around coffee, Buna is what it is called. Mm-hmm. That's what it's centered around. So you have a whole ceremony mm. and this frankincense and it's burnt and you sit down, you make a jebina, which is like a jug of coffee 
coffee and um, you, you'll sit there for hours talking about and talking to family and you have it after a meal as well. So I think this idea of community and conversation that goes hand in hand with coffee, um, I think the two have always been intertwined and it's kind of interesting the way that our different cultures as the years go on interpret that intrinsic um, coupling, mm-hmm. I think. I mean, it's interesting too because when a, when a cafe prioritises the, the financial side of things, which it, it has to in a capitalist society, like it, it ha- they have to make money, is there is an incentive for people to get in and get out quickly. Mm-hmm. You know, like that, that's the incentive. Mm. You, you get your coffee, you take it away, you get your, your bagel, your food. If you're sitting down for, for, for lunch or, or breakfast, you know, we're, we're getting the food out to you quickly so you can leave quickly, you can get to your job, you can go to this, which is, which is the opposite to this idea of, oh, no, no, this is a ceremony. Like this yeah. is, a, this mm. is a, a process that mm. we're all engaging with and we are committing to this. And, the yeah. co- you know, the coffee is a part of that. It's... Yeah, yeah, and it's also interesting because when we initially started talking about it, we were talking about like, oh, well, at the start of this podcast, we were talking about the idea of how not one person can make something on their own. And a coffee ceremony in Ethiopia, you bring in the outside world. So you bring in palm fronds and you lay them down and then you get out the raw coffee beans that have already been picked before the ceremony. But I think the palm fronds are a symbol of bringing that um, process of picking and nature and where it's come from inside. And everything's roasted in front of you. And I just think it's interesting thinking about my own personal understanding of that ceremony and then the idea of us not being able to take a product from one end to the other end all the way through and the fact that this coffee ceremony is almost like a representation of the cycle of coffee as well and that is a part of how they drink coffee all the time you know it's not just like yeah starbucks well obviously the starbucks and now but like Mm. (laughs) originally (laughs) um the whole idea was that you were a part of the entirety of the process Mm which maybe is something our culture is looking at trying to make our way back Back to. to. I agree. Yeah. Mm. Maybe that's probably a good spot to bring bring that direction to an end because um, Tarek, why don't we, why don't we shift it over? Where, Where, when we were talking about new beginnings, where did, where did you, yeah, what took your fancy? Yes, so I wanted to venture into something that was maybe a little bit closer to home. When I started to think of beginnings, new beginnings, I was really kind of interested by the idea of our educational system and especially as young creatives, all all of us and a lot of people that we know, um, I was just immediately struck by the thought of like, actually, because Australia is such a young country, and a lot of our history is so recent and compared to others. I don't even know what our first art institution, like tertiary art 
college or whatever you want to call it was in Australia. Mm. And I just, I was just like, okay, cool. Let's start the little dive into this. And I found out about it. And it's actually quite an interesting little story. Um, like anything in the education system or anything tethered to government, uh, it's, it's a complex history that kind of goes backwards. And tethered to government. <laughs> tethered to government. Sorry. <laughs> You're all good. But um, it, it does start... So the National Art School in Sydney was p- most likely the first um, tertiary... Ed- and the oldest tertiary art school. Um, I just want to start with the fact this is like a really quick summary of a long complex history. <laughs> so like mm-hmm. just hitting the highlights here. But the National Art School was one of the oldest ongoing art institutions in Australia. It's actually intertwined with the Sydney Mechanics School of Art, which it started as being like a class or a subsidiary of the like the mechanical school and then eventually became its own independent school. But that school actually dates all the way back to 1833. So though the um, we'll, we'll call it NAS, National Art School, NAS for short, just to keep things quick, um, though they're celebrating this year a hundred years, um, the the history of their teaching and stuff kind of goes back a fair few years before that. The cultural significance of the actual location, though, I thought was quite interesting, mm-hmm. is it's um, NAS is on Gadigal land mm-hmm. in Darlinghurst, Sydney, and it's in a city campus, and its original campus is the site of the former Darlinghurst Gallows. So it was actually a place where convicts were um, sent to be imprisoned and executed eventually. And this (laughs) this is the site and it's still still the site of the um, institution today, which I thought was just interesting and spooky do they acknowledge that at this in the space are there yeah any, yeah like, it's a heritage listed to it? it's yeah. a heritage listed site like due cool. to the fact that it goes back so many years and also i think it's interesting that the um origin dates of the actual gallows are 1822 and then some of the first classes which got moved there with as the mechanic school of arts were in 1833 so we're looking at like a 10-year gap Wow. <laughs> which is a short <laughs> gap it's not a big gap it's a little gap um so yeah so basically it became it started as classes out of the school of arts and then it moved it oscillated backwards and forwards between being able to serve more of the artistic community and um being given back to government at times uh after world war during World War One, it became an internment camp. So everyone was just like chucked out and then they just, they were using it for their own purposes during the war. And then again, after the war, because there were, um, sorry, I'm just finding it now, because there were so many people after the war looking for things to do, especially during the war, mostly women um, wanted to use it for sculpting classes and, building a community of their own um, and then more services were opened up to the men as well when they were coming back from service 
So then it started to build up a bit more of a reputation again. It was still directly linked to the government. So it eventually metastasized into becoming a TAFE course kind of thing. So then TAFE kind of ran it and um, it, it kind of, the issues were was that it went backwards and forwards between being a technical school, which is different to an arts-based school. So they're teaching you m the mechanics of certain industries as compared to like just a tertiary education in Bachelor of Arts focusing around fine arts and stuff like that. So it was only in about the 60s where the consolidation of the art school really came to be and they finally were able to provide diplomas for students that were longer than two years kind of thing. So then they started offering three, four-year diplomas which is really mm. um kind of more what people needed a lot of people ended up dropping out of those original courses as well mm. because there wasn't enough arts-based education provided to them because it was constantly being changed between the change of hands yeah, yeah yeah um and then more recently in the 1990s i think it was 1996 labor premier bob carr he honoured his uh, promise of independence. So this whole time between the 60s and the 90s, the students of this art school were screaming for independence from TAFE to be able to be their own independent college of arts. And he, as he was finishing his term as the leader of the Labour Party, mm -hmm. uh, he finally offered them their own independence and... Studio practices were opened that continue to employ practicing artists and teachers to this day. New courses, including drawing as a core subject, introduced a strong curriculum for art history and theory, while teaching skills in studios and and studios um, helped equip students with like ranges of techniques. So it's still a school in Darlinghurst, Sydney, which is really interesting, but. I thought that idea of the fact that these people have been kind of a part of this community as we've been talking about over the podcast mm. and studying there and living around there and wanting and these are so many famous artists came out of the school. Margaret Oli came out of the school um, and they've moved out and then come back and been teachers and stuff but it took that many years to actually get their own independence and be recognised to be able to be an independent art school. Mm. It makes me kind of think about the entirety of Australia's Like, I kind of just want to learn more about the entirety of Australia's mm. history with art as a part of education. Because for such an established, like, the national, the national arts yeah. school... Like for it to only have its own independence and be able to provide everything that its students need in 1990, <laughs> right? Like we were all born shortly after that day. Yeah. That's insane to me. And then to think that we've got like all of these private and public art schools now does feel like a quite a late cultural like boom. Mm. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's also a question, I guess, of like the value of the arts, you know, like you can see a lot in the way... Um, governments would value the arts you know mm. of course of course it's there you know during the world wars they're the ones that get cleared out because you know like art art's on a priority in wartime mm. yeah you know and 
and there's so many so many politi- you know the politicization of the education system is is a massive um, problem in a lot of those ways you know the way money's distributed where donations come from where support's given to to actually develop those programs transparency mm. of what they use money for as well yeah, yeah exactly like does it go to the students how's it operate i mean there's so many art schools and you know practical like art art education yeah you know, like yeah. places that i don't even know how you would describe them that offer like diplomas and like tafe course kind of equivalents when really like their their resources are so weak you know but they are they are charging you know like sixty thousand dollars a year like it's more expensive than getting a bachelor's degree at like an established university to go to the, one of these like technical mm. art schools yeah but it's just because of these like like these false claims of what they're offering you know that it's giving you like real world experience when that real world experience is with like gear that you could just buy yourself you know yeah and, and it's this question of of how how arts education has been valued in Australia's history and where it leaves us now, you know? Like, what, like, as an artist, like, we also have to wonder, you know, we're now in an incredibly privileged time where it's like, wait a second, artists can make a living now. Mm. You know, it's also the other thing back then, it's like art, you know, it's really hard for artists to make a living. Mm. You know, some of the greatest artists in the world, like, I, I was watching something yesterday, it was talking about how, like, Rothko would, would pay his bills with his paintings. So he'd be just like dishing off paintings for like a couple of hundred bucks to a thousand bucks that are now worth millions of dollars. But, you know, in his time, you know, like it was how he paid his bills. Yeah. You know, like, and now we're at this point where, you know, there is the evolution of technology. There is the evolution of self-education too. Mm. Like there's a real question now of like, you know, it's, it's amazing all these, now that it's established and it is this like national art sort of school and there's a, there's a whole sort of, ethos and culture and a history there that sounds so interesting that's valuable to be like learning about but at the same time it's like well what can an art education give me now that our ideas are changing now that education itself has a new beginning yes you know like we're at the state where education is changing oh and it's definitely at the stage where everyone's kind of questioning it you know like there's there's such an intrinsic tie between traditional education systems and traditional thinking traditional culture you know and for people to be branching out within self-education or non-traditional ways to get yourself started in the workplace, especially with the evolution of the internet as well, it's it's not hard to go out there and kind of pave your own way. So at the same time, it's amazing that these these art forms are are being recognized by institutions and we are providing classes and support and resources for these emerging artists but at the same time it's also like well for x amount of term money (laughs) how much are you actually giving me that i can't give myself yeah yeah and i think there should be a big push to like those places that was beautiful how much say it again how much are you actually giving me that i can't Can't give give myself? myself that's beautiful that's a great like way to to like check your education. Mm. Like, mm. like I I reckon like there are probably some educational institutions that need to be asked that question. You oh yeah. I wish I'd asked myself that question when I was doing my tertiary education. Is that tertiary? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Mm. But that it, it's also like you gain so much perspective from being in an institution. Yeah. And but also the these hubs of connecting people. Yeah. And that that for me is what my most valuable takeaway from university was. Yeah. Was actually 
talking to people, having a space where I'm, I'm challenged to think more about things and talk to people about and the thing is is that if you can get into that tertiary education culture where you are connecting with Mm. other artists or other young professionals within those fields Mm. of study those you can make lifelong lasting connections that will help you down the road and i think let's tie back to this coffee house idea right we're Mm. now in a society where those places aren't necessarily existing in other physical locations yeah right it's like in order to build those networks you kind of have to be going to to an educational institution because that's where all the young people are because there aren't these dedicated spaces for the establishment of thriving communities Mm. you know in most circumstances Mm. now we're starting to get a bit with the internet and where the internet's evolving but there's also really something to be said of the value of physical spaces being in Mm. physical contact with other you know, people who are thinking, interrogating ideas, challenging one another. Mm. Like, I think that's the value of these educational institutions. But once again, it's like, I would love to see that embodied in, in, a, in a coffee house. Mm. Yeah. And, and so that people don't have to be paying all this money to... Because the thing is, is access. And then yeah. for me, the, like the heart of the issue, it comes back to access. Because if people can't get a scholarship or gain access or have generational issues with the education system like it's not easy to then feel like you you can catch up you know and so that's when you kind of have to call on the movement of Mm. the people i guess to be able to provide ourselves these opportunities i Mm. don't know who's responsible for access to education Mm. well i mean with tertiary education there are certain prices that are Mm. set i mean a lot of yeah. public education and um first year second year is like mod like pretty accessible there's a fair few more programs but because mm. tertiary education is considered more of a like a luxury kind of i'd say mm-hmm. then it's not as accessible and there are more programs that are geared up to support people from lower incomes to go to programs like tafe mm. you know that's just the crux of the issue and Unfortunately, not all the time I'm not bagging TAFE because TAFE offers heaps of good opportunities and technical skills and I'll most likely probably end up doing short courses from there as well. Mm. But it is easier to get funneled into service industries and government programs. Mm. Yeah, Incentives. So the government has certain incentives that I'll offer for certain things based on their analysis of workforce Mm. compared to institutions that are about the fostering of curiosity and creativity and and the the pursuit of one's own dreams one's own ability to make those decisions i think we also Mm. have an issue with our tertiary education system where you're locked into the one thing that you decide to do yeah you know like where we don't actually have an education system that fosters these you know like like hive mind ideas of mm. holistic of, approach yeah, like holistic approach mm. to actually also becoming a better human being yes mm. you know like how many people graduate university like graduate high school and then graduate university and they haven't uh, like we haven't figured out the basics of how to be a decent human being we haven't mm. learned about the history of religion and the intersections of different religious ideology we mm-hmm. haven't learned about social media and the way it changes our own psychology mm. we haven't learned about the future of humanity you know like that stuff we 
you know, we have to go find it out ourselves. But imagine if if there was the infrastructure to support that in these educational institutions. Yeah, support you know, and the, that and curiosity. And if that was a priority. And I know there are places out there like that, you know, mm. like, I was, you yeah. know like I was very lucky through my education to get a taste of that. But at the same time, there was so much red tape. There was so many boundaries put on us. Mm. And, and it's why, like, I think what's so exciting with what's happening in, with the internet right now and the development of digital and virtual communities, the push that I think we're starting to see as people starting to go, wait a second, why am I spending all of this money to go to this, like, accredited organization where I can actually develop skills beyond that mm. through my own pursuits, where I can build a community beyond that? Because that's what we need, like when you ask like whose responsibility is it i think at a certain point we as community members have agency in creating that Mm -hmm. we as community members have a responsibility to leverage our own like individual privileges as a way to actually come together and support one another to lift each other up you Mm -hmm. know Mm -hmm. like to stand on each other's shoulders to see further you know like that that is what community is about you know and that's the beautiful thing about new beginnings right the beautiful thing about a new beginning is that when you start that path, you know, like that that famous saying, it's like, you know, every journey starts with the first step, right? But when someone takes that first step, they also clear the path for other people to follow. And I think that's what is powerful about community building, about exploring new beginnings, about pursuing what you're passionate about, mm. you know, is that you then open that pathway up, not just for yourself, but for those who are walking behind Mm. maybe that's a great spot to uh wrap it up for today yeah strong stuff nice we're back we're back 2022 baby (laughs) a new beginning (laughs) a new beginning a new beginning for us which something i think we'll talk about maybe next week a little bit more is what this year looks like for us yeah yeah yeah, yeah, we've got some grand plans. Yeah, we've got some, some exciting things. We've been screaming. Fun yeah. initiatives. Yeah. Screaming. Screaming. That's going to be good. But yeah. we've got a bit of social social content coming out as well. We're yeah. really getting on top of that stuff this year. And we're also launching a new Discord. So mm. um, we'll make sure we include the link to join that um, under this episode. Yep. And in the links, the posts that come out. In the posts yep. that come out, make sure you sort of keep an eye on us. Um, but we're trying to build a community for creatives really about accelerating uh, the impact of other creatives mm-hmm. we want to be a part of that we want you to be a part of our community so if you head over onto that discord that'll be a great like center place to reach out and, and yep. get in contact with us join the discussion yeah, yeah access the things firsthand oh yeah sounds brilliant <laughs> beautiful well have a lovely day evening afternoon morning wherever you are in the world and we will see you next week Bye. 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 Uh, uh, uh. <laughs>